Welcome to Midwretched, the home of the most heartless of the heartland. Join us, Tommy and Mick, as we share the best true crime tales the Midwest has to offer. Just intro us. Let's go. Any hoozles. Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Yay! Welcome. Happy New Year. This is the first time we're recording after the New Year, so you guys yes. are getting a happy, happy. Such a happy, happy. It's 2021. <sighs> we don't I know feel... what that means quite yet. No, we should just back in slowly. Don't make any sudden movements. Mm-hmm. Just you cautiously know. take in your surroundings. That's right. Don't make eye contact. I don't usually. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you're going to be okay. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah, Yeah, we are glad. We took a week off from recording, so we just, like, missed each other so desperately. But (sighs) the world is a crazy place, and I have been, like, as you guys know, we don't talk to each other much about our cases beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like, we like to leave each other in the dark, right? And we, I at least honor my promise to, to not research your cases. I always honor my promises. I figured as much. So we honor each other's promises, but I got to say this one, and I did honor it, but this one, just knowing the subject matter of it, I have put myself in the mindset today of not being a kind of a listener, but more of like, we're going to be kind of puzzling through something together. Yes. Right. Yes. And that is super intriguing to me. So I am just really excited for Mm -hmm this because it feels like we're going to be on the verge of something super exciting. So I know that you at least listened to one of the podcasts that I recommended about this case. I did. I did. And I don't want to spoil it, but I know as we're coming out of quarantine, I'm hoping some interesting things are going to be happening in this case. And we'll get around to it why I have some kind of hope about that. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're going to talk about why you have some hope about that? Yes. Okay, good, good. I like hope. So uh, I guess the only update that I have before we get started is really kind of a somber one. So this episode will air on January 14th. And January 12th, Lisa Montgomery, the woman who killed Bobby Joe Stinnett and kidnapped her baby, Victoria Joe, was executed federally. So the plea for clemency that was put together did not work and she was the first woman federally executed in the u.s in 67 years so that's an update it is crazy i think just like whatever people's opinions are about capital punishment for again somewhere in the middle where i think most people probably are somewhere in that gray space i think it's just kind of interesting to dedicate some brain space to like what Mm -hmm. What really does that mean? What are the implications there? You know, just to kind of do a little self-examination, you know, Mm -hmm. like how does that sit with you? I think that's a fruitful thought and soul experiment. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any updates or anything? No, no updates on my end, unfortunately. Hmm. So then should we just dive in? Let's dive. I'm so excited. (sighs) So... 
like I said last week, this is going to be a little bit of a change from kind of our typical narrative structure. And I want to give you kind of an idea of how I ended up doing this case, (laughs) because it started as one thing and turned into a whole other world. Mm. So just kind of casually looking around, I wanted to cover a case in Chicago in my backyard since we've spent so much time in yours. I know. Please, thank you for taking me out of my backyard. (laughs) Um, But because I, I, I genuinely love Chicago and there are so many stories to tell. And I came across the story of one of the women that we're going to talk about, Teresa Bunn, absolutely beautiful young woman who was murdered in the south side of Chicago. And I was really, really taken in by this case and started to kind of dig into it and really quickly stumbled across some connections to other very, very similar murders on the south, far south and west side of Chicago. Hmm. that had been left unsolved, some of them for decades. Wow. Which got me down this route into this kind of present theory about whether or not there is an active serial killer in the city of Chicago right now. Mm. Boy, is that an evocative question. Mm-hmm. Wow. I have been doing a lot of thinking and research and just reading and philosophizing about um, why are we you know, in this day and age, right, it's 2021, we don't have or we don't hear stories of serial killers like uh, we have in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Mm -hmm. That was kind of like the heyday, so to speak, of the serial killer. And a lot of the stuff I was reading suggested that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, we don't free-range parent anymore. Yeah. Kids are always being watched, you know, we're helicopter parents. I can definitely cop to that one. Um, technology makes it harder for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons, but something I read said that, um, there are probably just as many active serial killers now as there ever was. They're just operating so far on the fringes of society that our attention is on it. And I think that that's interesting. I attended a lecture with a forensic psychologist that kind of said a similar thing. He also said that our research and our understanding of the demographics of serial killers is very off. Mm. Our typical profiling, I mean, we've all seen the shows, you know, white, Caucasian, 30 to 45, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's like, that's not accurate. It never was accurate, but it's especially not accurate right now. Yeah. We were just talking the other day because Samuel Little just died. Yeah, yeah. He got away. With what he did for so many years because he operated on the fringes of society and he preyed intentionally on women on the fringes of society. Yeah, and he knew it would work. And I mean, effectively, it did until very late in his life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's going to be a shocker to say that that's some of the things that I think we're going to come across in this case. Mm. Well, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. Now... It is. This is also me. So, of course, my research never ended at the crime, but looked into the structural Forever issues. Ended, actually. <laughs> it ever ended. I was literally this morning <laughs> just Googling, like, any updates, any updates, any updates. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, to your point, though, like, structural issues are huge, huge, huge in Chicago. And especially when you talk about the mm-hmm. South Side. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. A lot of changes have happened in Chicago in the last year, year and a half that I'm hoping will have an effect on this case. Hmm. 
All of that said, all of my research and resources came to a dead halt in January 2020. Mm-hmm. No new information is coming out. I'm looking for updates in, you know, the number of missing women, the number of arrests, things like that. Nothing. No new information. And part of that is because of quarantine, Chicago stopped doing face-to-face trials for any criminal charges in March. Mm. So we are having to just wait on a lot of information. That's so interesting. So, So all of that said, what I want to do today is I want to talk about the stories of some of these women that are believed to be connected and tell you what we know about some of the unsolved murders of 51 Chicago women. Wow. 51. That is a huge, almost unfathomable number of murder victims in one place, Mm -hmm. in one span of time. Yeah. It's a long span of time, but Mm. it's... Not long enough, though. No. (laughs) Yeah. And before I start, I do... I want to give a shout out to some local publications mm. um, in the city of Chicago because for some of the reasons, the systemic reasons that we talked to um, some of these women being more kind of on the fringes of society because many of them were sex workers, mm-hmm. that their murderers didn't get coverage in the Sun Times or the mm. Tribune and, you know, things that we might have seen if they were suburban moms. You know, yeah, yeah. But I want to give out shout out to some of the pop publications like or Black Club Chicago or BlackGirls.com, um, and to Mickey Kendall, a Chicago writer and activist and author mm-hmm. author of Hood Feminism. Who I know, right? My sister read it. She said it was really good. It's actually I just saw it on my uh, library app. Actually, <laughs> it's supposed to be really good. I would really like to read it. Um, But she's done some interviews and whatnot and really has, over the last few years, tried to bring attention to this issue, some of the patterns that she was seeing in her neighborhoods and things like that. So That's awesome. Also, a huge bit of thanks to the Murder Accountability Project. Yes. Yes. Who they're going to play a huge role here. <laughs> oh my gosh. And boy, can you just geek out for like a billion years on their data? Oh, oh <laughs> God. Yeah. You guys know we're huge data nerds and the Murder Accountability Project just like, oh, beautiful data thing. maps. Oh my gosh. Oh, it really is. Because while community members kind of knew that there was something wrong and something going on in their neighborhoods, official channels and media outlets were largely ignoring the phenomenon until this group kind of put the data together in a way that forced them to pay very public attention to it. Yeah, it's different when you see it on a graph. I mean, Thomas Hargrove, who uh, helped bring attention to this and eventually put away Indiana serial killer Darren Dion Van, who we are totally going to cover. Absolutely. <laughs> he is on the list. I don't know if he's on yours or mine, but he's Probably or both. both. <laughs> This case was also covered um, on the Murder Squad. Shout out Jensen and Holes. We love you. We love you. you. We love you. Um, but anyway, they did a really good interview with one of the guys from the Murder Accountability Project um, where they talk a lot more about how they analyze the data and how they put it together. But we want to talk a little bit more about the stories and about Chicago and kind of put it in its context. Yes. So that's out of the way. Now... More context, more stage setting. 
<laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm sorry for what I am. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's important to kind of point out because a lot of people will be like, well, everybody gets murdered in Chicago. Blah, 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 blah. We have a higher murder rate, guys. The numbers just came out for 2020. It was nearly 800 people got murdered in the city of Chicago. Mm. And obviously there's a ton of reasons for that. We have a very high poverty rate, systemic racism. We have ridiculous policing practices that we're going to go into. Yeah. Stupid policing practices that we're going to go into. A lot of it is related to poverty and gang violence, which is way more complicated than I can cover right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to try. But I I want to put that out there because the cases that we're talking about today, we know that they're not gang related. Gotcha. We know that they're not robberies gone wrong. We know that they're not domestic violence. Okay. So where does our story start? Mm. All the way back in 2001, so 20 years ago now. I don't like thinking about that as being 20 years ago. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it is. Reality is a thing. Time is a thing. When I was a little kid, I never thought I would see the year 2000. Like, really? it was just this, like, such an abstract number. I mean, I was born in 88, so it's not like I was, like, <laughs> not expecting to live. To turn 12. <laughs> I know. But I was like, 2000. Were you thinking that, like, the Y2K bug was going to get you? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> Among other things, yeah. <laughs> but between 2001 and today, there have been at least 76 murders of women who have died by strangulation or smothering hmm. and had their bodies left in dumpsters, abandoned alleys, homes, or snowbanks. Wow. Okay. Now, arrests have been made in about a third of these cases. Gotcha. Okay. 25 cases were solved through the arrests of 13 men. Hmm. The way those numbers distribute already tells us that each one... At least two. At least two. Yeah. Nearly two. Yeah. So if we use the FBI's kind of working definition of a serial killer, mm-hmm. it's three or more victims. Right. Yeah. So when I say, is there a serial killer? There's probably multiple. Yeah. Yeah. But that still leaves 51 cases unsolved. Mm. Now, these numbers stopped in 2019. Mm. So that number of 51 unsolved cases is between 2001 and and 2019 gotcha like i said i tried i dug for new numbers and i couldn't find any if any mm-hmm. of our listeners have them or want to send them our way go for it please yeah. so that's 51 women who have been strangled and abandoned in dumpsters or alleyways and their killers have walked free wow these women range in age from 21 to 58 they are predominant black and latina We know that one was a grandmother of 20 children, and one of them was a great-grandmother of two. Oh, wow. That's right. So I'm going to start talking about these women, kind of where my research started with the case of Teresa Bunn. So she's a tiny 21-year-old woman um, who lived with her family in Chicago's Inglewood neighborhood. Her family described her as friendly, sweet, always the one to pick up people's spirits and give them help whenever they needed it. 
her close friend Laquisha Harris described her as the quiet one, always the one to make peace when there is a fight. Aww. At the time of our story, she was eight months pregnant. She was eight months pregnant? Yeah. Oh, wow. She was incredibly excited to be a new mom. Yeah. She was bringing in her family's first new child in the generation. Aww. She was going to name the child after her little brother, Michael Pierre Terry Bunn. Oh, I know. That's so sweet. Like I said, she was super excited. Her family was over the moon <laughs> to have a new baby in the family. But Teresa was also kind of dealing with a pretty stormy relationship with the father and his family. Mm. So apparently... Some of the backstory on this, because this is what the police kind of relied on when they were investigating her case, Mm -hmm. the investigation little that they did. So apparently the father had filed an order of protection stating that Teresa had been making threatening phone calls to him and his mother. Hmm. He reportedly denied that they even had sex, that they were just dating and that she was harassing him and his family. Teresa obviously disagreed with his allegations and was like, hey, I'm pregnant. Mm. you're the dad that would be a way to disagree yeah that would be a way to disagree so she was arrested on charges of violating this order of protection by going to his house on september 12th 2007 now 12 days later on september 24th bun responded to his complaint she was arrested but Mm. let go she responded to his complaint with a letter saying that his family had been stalking and harassing her Mm. The letter said, I want them to leave me alone. They're stressing me out. They're trying to make me lose this baby. Mm-hmm. When the family was reached by police, they declined to comment on the situation. Okay. Now, like I said, I include that all just to say, like, this is kind of what's happening when she goes missing. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why police kind of didn't pursue other avenues when they popped up. Mm. Got it. Yeah. So, November 12th, 2007, she's eight months pregnant. She left her home in the afternoon to go shopping, either somewhere in Chicago or nearby Evergreen Park. Now, her family expected her to be home early that evening because apparently she rarely stayed out late. And they refer to kind of generally like a mental condition that made it hard for her to get around at night. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. It could be like a vision problem, a learning disorder, ADHD. Yeah. You know, it gets dark. Your executive functioning and your spatial awareness can kind of change a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. But they said, like, she doesn't stay out late because of this. Got it. So when she didn't come home, the family was already pretty scared and pretty panicky, especially with everything that she had going on with the baby's father. Yeah. Yeah, and being pregnant, you just stay close to home, especially yeah. at pregnant, because it's also like moving around is going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. as small as she is and how big you're going to be in your eighth month. Speaking from experience on that, <laughs> you don't spend more time on your feet than you have to. No. And I'm imagining, I'm guessing if she's in Chicago, she's probably taking public transport. Mm-hmm. And God, that is terrible when you're pregnant, I can imagine. Oy. So Monday night around midnight... News broke in Chicago of a woman being found naked in a dumpster that had been lit on fire. Now, this was on the 6100 block of South Prairie Avenue by Washington Park, which is just north of the Inglewood neighborhood. 
I don't expect anybody to know exactly where that is, so I have maps for you. So the body is found by Washington Park, just north of where Teresa lived. The family is obviously like immediately reeling, waiting to hear from the police, calling our daughter's missing. You found somebody. What's going on? Police didn't have any leads. They weren't releasing any information immediately. But within just 24 hours, the fire department was called to the 800 block of 50th Street, just on the other end of Washington Park. Oh, wow. To put out another fire in a dumpster. Oh, my God. When the fire's put out, they discover the body of yet another woman, naked, and set a fire in the dumpster. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Now. It's... Oh, go ahead. I'm going to share my screen with you. Yes, please. Are you seeing this map? Mm, I am now. Oh, my gosh. That's this the same thing the two... I was looking at on my own machine, but. This is where the two bodies were found. Wow. Okay. So it is uh, a seven minute drive, most of which would be through a park. And so it's two miles. I think what's interesting about it, like specifically when you think about a park being in between two locations, it allows somebody to cut the diagonal, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a useful little shortcut if you're somebody trying to do something nefarious. Yeah. These are literally, these locations are literally like caddy corner. Yeah. On different sides of a park. Like, yeah, you could draw. Yeah, you can draw an almost exactly a straight line, uh, <laughs> a straight diagonal line from one to the other, give or take about a block. Yep. That's incredible. And so these bodies were found within 24 hours of each other. Wow. Okay. So CPD eventually, CPD, Chicago Police Department, was able to identify the first body through dental records and verified that it was Teresa Bunn. Oh, God. Obviously, again, family is losing it, as was the entire neighborhood. Inglewood is a pretty close-knit neighborhood. A lot of the neighborhoods in Chicago are. Like, Mm -hmm. when you say what neighborhood you're from in Chicago, it reveals a lot about your identity. Yes. And, like, you are automatically connected to other people from that neighborhood. Yeah, totally. It's a way, a way to make a huge city feel small. Like it's what mm-hmm. gives it small town qualities. And I think like I don't know if you're planning on going into it more or not, but I just want to kind of just make a quick bullet point that especially if you're not listening from the Midwest specifically, the kind of like stereotypes around the south side of mm, Chicago yeah. um are like a major just thing that people talk about and think about in the Midwest. Like the South side of Chicago is seen as like the murder capital of the U S I think in the consciousness of a lot mm-hmm. of Midwesterners, not from Chicago and nationally too, I think probably. So there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of redlining practices that have kind of shaped the history of that part of the town, all that stuff. And I don't, I'm not from there. I don't know everything, but I just think it's interesting to point out that a lot of the reason that a lot of the stuff is not going to get any focus is the bare fact that it's the south side of Chicago. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I apparently left it out in all of my other, like, stage setting. But (laughs) (laughs) Chicago is a famously segregated city. Yeah. So when we talk about the south side, it is a very, very heavily black neighborhoods. 
more low-income neighborhoods, although that's changing and that's diversifying quite a bit. But historically, yeah, there is a lot of poverty and a lot of discrimination toward the South Side specifically. And, you know, Inglewood, I think, is kind of one of those more stereotyped neighborhoods as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just that was on my mind. So I I don't think to always kind of describe it because I know it so well. And it's just kind of like one of those more natural things in my brain when I think about Chicago. So I'm mm. glad you pointed it out. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about it until I moved to this part of the Midwest. Like in yeah. Detroit, you don't think about Chicago because Detroit is the urban center <laughs> that you need, right? But if you, you know, living in South Bend, like Chicago is where you go for like an exciting weekend or mm-hmm. whatever. So I know no. a lot more about it now than I did before. Some of the neighborhoods that we're going to talk about are those neighborhoods that like your nice white parents are going to be like, don't go down there. Mm-hmm. You watch yourself down there. You put your money in your sock. That's right. <laughs> your money and your son. <laughs> oh my gosh you know you've heard it uh yes yeah so many times well my mo- my nice white parents would be more like here's some exorcism salt for your purse <laughs> <sighs> yeah. say no Pina, as you get off the highway <laughs> So, like I said, CPD was able to identify Teresa through dental records. The entire neighborhood was reeling. So in most of the neighborhoods in Chicago, not just in Inglewood, what you'll see is a lot of like houses real close to each other, Yeah, which makes for close neighbors. Mm-hmm. You hang out on your porch, you see everybody, you know everybody in your neighborhood. So when the police came to Teresa's family... Everybody knew who she was. They knew who the family was. Neighbors reported hearing her sister just wailing when the police came to tell them what happened. Ugh. Now, typically in this situation, like we had mentioned, who's going to be suspect number one? Mm -hmm. The child's father. Yeah. So obviously they did follow that lead. But with another woman found just at the other end of the park the next day murdered in a similar way it's kind of hard to ignore the connection yeah that second woman was eventually identified as 52 year old hazel lewis Hmm. and unfortunately i looked and i couldn't find much more information on hazel her life or how she went missing or Hmm. was killed unfortunately now police initially claimed that the crimes were unrelated and this is something that we're going to hear a lot the police desperately avoided saying that any of these murders that we're going to talk about are related. Mm. And the cases of both of these women went cold really quickly. Yeah. We're now 13 years later and we have no more answers than we did on, on the night that they were discovered. Jeez. No new information, nothing. Wow. So that's frustrating. Welcome to Chicago. It's frustrating. Yes. No, like I said in the beginning, there were 51 unsolved strangulations of women in Chicago, predominantly African-American. Many of them were sex workers. Now, Thomas Hargrove of the Murder Accountability Project tracks these homicides and tracks the patterns. He says that the patterns he's seeing point to the possibility of two to three serial killers present in Chicago. 
Got it. Yeah, and that's what the numbers made sense to me, too. Yeah, it makes sense. We're going to talk about some of the stories of these women, and I'm sure that some of them are unrelated. But I'm also fairly confident that some of them are very related. Yeah. We do not have the time, sadly, to cover all 51 cases. I wish we did. I wish I had the time in my life to do a whole other podcast just dedicated to this. Yeah, but we should definitely list out all of the... Oh, yeah. All of the names. Yeah. We're going we're going to definitely. Um, the locations and the manner of death is simply too consistent to ignore, mm-hmm. despite the fact that CPD has tried to. There have been a lot of community actions and activists um, trying to kind of scream down the throats of CPD, all of which have been ignored. So what I want to do is just kind of talk about a couple more of the women that have been identified, tell a little bit of their stories. And then kind of return to discuss some of the stuff that's going on with CPD right now for anyone, again, that's not in my area and kind of following all of the crazy ass shit that we do. (laughs) Yeah. Which understandably is probably not a ton of people outside of Chicago that are following that. Yeah. No, no. I mean, Laquan McDonald made a lot of headlines, but after that, yeah. All right. So in, I want to talk about first kind of starting with Margaret Gomez. I tried to put these in more linear order so that they make a little bit of sense. In January 2006, Margaret Gomez, who is a 22-year-old girl from suburban Chicago, was found in a gravel lot, partially clothed with a rope around her neck, strangled. She was found on the 4200 block of South Knox Avenue on the southwest side of Chicago. Margaret's family was originally from the Little Village neighborhood of Chicago. Her mother moved the family out to the suburbs in the hopes that they could find some quiet and find some safety, find some more opportunities for the kids. Mm. Margaret was described as shy, artistic, and caring. She was also kind of known to have some struggles with her self-esteem. She really sought a lot of approval from people in her life. She was reportedly just, you know, so insecure and so unsure of herself. She got involved in substance use and addiction um, while dating a boyfriend. Around the time in her early 20s, she would go missing for days at a time um, with her boyfriend and then return home battered and bruised. Her mother constantly offered her help and support just wanting her to work on her recovery, wanting her to do better and just come home and be safe. So she wrote her mom a letter just before she went missing. Mm. Mama, I want to let you know how thankful I am for having such a caring and forgiving and determined mother. I know how much stress and heartache I put you through and I want to apologize and promise it won't happen again. I only want improvements from this day on. I love you, and I know you're always on my side, no matter what. Aww. No tears, but I'm close. And then just less than a week later, she was found in Chicago, murdered. Wow. So how far did she live from where she was found? Um, from what I understand, she lived in some of kind of the near western suburbs. Okay. So probably within about half an hour. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think about logistics. So, like, when it came to um, the first two, the logistics on that are are pretty straightforward, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very, very tight area. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you think about familiarity, you'd have to know where there's dumpsters, you have to know where there's women, mm-hmm. and you'd have to know that you could make um, a kind of a quick, easy, low-key escape, probably through the park, both mm-hmm. times, I would imagine. So with her being transported, well, one thought is that she was transported, the other thought is that she was in the city for her own reasons, and then was picked up there. According to her mom and some people that she associated with, she did commonly go into the city with this boyfriend okay usually to buy drugs to see friends and things like that remember she is originally from little village Mm -hmm. so she still had friends and all of that there it was pretty common for her to go back into the city gotcha okay Yeah. yeah it's a really familiar story i think for girls that get caught up in stuff like this Mm -hmm. and you know substance abuse is a monster and substance abuse very commonly turns to sex work to support it i mean we talked about that when we talked about cleveland Mm -hmm. and like the high risks and the exposure that that causes these women you know yeah totally yeah we're done talking about it again next week when we go to detroit Ooh, i love going to detroit so and then in 2014 velma howard was found in an abandoned area frozen in the snow in East Garfield Park mm-hmm. with an electrical cord wrapped around her neck, died by strangulation. Jeez, how brutal. She was only found after the snow was shoveled, and it's unclear how long she was there. Wow. Police only came to question her neighbors in 2017. What? When the police finally came to her home in 2017... I don't have the name of this man. I wish I did because I feel him so hard. Mm. Police came to his door and he said, why are you here three years later? After all this time, where were you? And slammed the door in his face. Wow. His son came out shortly afterward to apologize, explaining that they had never been interviewed after Velma went missing or when she was found. He said, they just picked up the body and left. We're just looked over here. That is so despicable. Mm. That gave me goosebumps, that quote. Yeah. Uh, in May 2017, 37-year-old Kalina Hamilton was found dead in a dumpster in the northwest neighborhood of Belmont Cragen. Mm. That's a little bit further north. We're getting to kind of the more no- northern west side. In June 2017, so if you're kind of picking up a pattern, we're getting closer and closer in terms of these kills. Catherine Saderfield Buchanan was found under a streetlight laying on her back, legs splayed out over the curb. Oh, my God. Her face was badly beaten and she was strangled. She was 58 years old. She's the oldest victim that we know of. Wow. Catherine was homeless. She was seeking help at Breakthrough, a shelter and health care center on West Carroll Avenue on the west side of Chicago. Mm. September 2019, Rachel Catledge was found on the 1400 block of Atlantic Avenue in Riverdale. Mm. She was 34 years old and also pregnant at the time of her death. She was strangled and set on fire. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's also the case of an unidentified park forest woman who is sometimes included in these case, 
in these cases, believed to be the first victim. She was 18 years old. Her body was found burned beyond recognition, so we have no identification on who she was. Wow. Now, there was suspicion that she was strangled, but forensics couldn't determine cause of death. Mm. Now, apparently, her body was so badly burned because the type of plastic that was used in garbage containers in the 90s when she was found, I believe it was 1998 or 1999, burned so hot that there was simply nothing to recover wow where was this one uh in park forest which is quite a bit south of chicago Mm -hmm. so the theory that i read behind this one was that whoever this person was that's home that's home yeah or that was home and then they moved into the city Mm-hmm. And if that first victim was never identified and they got away with it, they found a really good way to get rid of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, I wish I had infinite time and resources to go over all of the stories. They cover a few more in um, the Murder Squad episode. So I wanted to try to highlight different stories so that we can mm-hmm. tell as many as we can. I do want to spend a moment and name all of the women that have been associated with this case. So forgive me if this takes a while. It's a lot of people. They deserve it. All right. Angela Mariana Ford, Charlotte Day, Winifred Shines, Brenda Cowart, Elaine Bonetta, Saudia Banks, Bessie Scott, Gwendolyn Williams, Jody Grissom, Lorraine Harris, Delly Jones, Celeste Jackson, Nancy Walker, Tarika Jones, Linda Green, Rosenda Barasio, Latanya Keeler, Latresa Hall, Lucy Set Thomas, who also went by Mary, Ethel Amerson, Michelle Davenport, Tamala Edwards, Makalava Williams, Precious Smith, Denise Torres, Wanda Hall, Yvette Mason, Shaniqua Williams, Margaret Gomez, Antoinette Simmons, Kelly Sarf, Veronica Frazier, Marianne Zhukowski, Teresa Bunn, Hazel Marion Lewis, Genevieve Mellis, Charlene Miller, Latoya Banks, Shannon Williams, Vanessa Rajakovich, LaFonda Sue Wilson, Kwanda Kreider, Angela Prophet, Pamela Wilson, Velma Howard, Catherine Saderfield Buchanan, and Valerie Marie Jackson, Laura Dawn Harbin, Nicole Ridge, Rio Renee Holyfield, and Diamond Turner, who we're going to come back to. Diamond Turner is going to be kind of an important person. I feel like once you read that list, if that isn't incredibly jarring to you that there are that many unsolved, similar murders in one area... And if that doesn't put a face to it for you, or at least some 
I don't know, a string, a thread. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what's going on in your heart, but you should probably have that looked at. If you don't have a reaction to that many people whose murders have just been left to fall away in a cabinet somewhere. Right, to collect dust somewhere in a basement. And again, and I, I think we talked about this when we talked about Anthony Sowell. It's it's these women who deserve justice, but also their community deserves to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so, like, as we're talking about these different stories, it, it becomes clear that it's not all the exact same women. These aren't super tight victim profiles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 21 and 58 and there's grandmothers and first time moms who are pregnant. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it makes it feel like there might be more than one killer. And in this case, I do believe that there is. But also... We had just mentioned, I don't know if whether or not what's going to make it into the editing or not, but yeah, I don't believe that victim profiles are always as tight as they are in like criminal minds. No, totally. Yeah, like I've been researching a case that is verifiable murders that are all linked to the same perpetrator where the victims are uh, the commonalities that they're women, but mm-hmm. they are represent various races various ages various like looks you know like mm-hmm. we've got this mythology that like oh he was a serial killer that liked blondes or whatever that's not always the case and especially if they're kind of going out and you know looking by the dark of night then that's also going to make things obscured right mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot of you know murders we know more than we are comfortable admitting, I think, are convenience. Yeah. It's who is nearby and who do I have access to? Mm-hmm. I'm going to obviously put some of these maps and images on our social media. There's also links to the Murder Accountability Project and Mickey Kendall's interview that kind of talks about how her community began putting all of this stuff together before the police started really investigating it and looking into it. But one thing that I want to point out, I'm going to share my screen with you again, all of my wonderful notes. So this is the map. This is the map as of about two weeks ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. So these are all of the 51 cases put on one map. Now, what I think is really interesting, and one of the things that the Thomas Hargrove from MAP pointed out, that is, if you were from Chicago, it was real easy to see. Mm-hmm. There is a straight line going down the south side. Yeah, 100%. Is that what's right along the green line? That is exactly along the green line. Okay. So the green line is one of the lines on our train system. The green line goes out west to the western suburbs to Oak Park and straight south. Mm. And if you guys have a chance to take a look at this map, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, depending on how you count it. Wow. Um, murders right along the train line. Yeah. And I think for people that are unfamiliar with Chicago, like how those trains can feel is like the amount of time between stops. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's like two minutes. 
Mm-hmm. So you could kind of hop on the train and two minutes later hop off the train. Mm-hmm. It also theoretically could make it really easy to not only like kind of skip around crime scenes, but also to disappear kind of oh, very quickly. It is so easy to disappear on the CTA trains. Yeah. Just to kind of jump into a crowd. There's enough shady ass areas, mm-hmm. you know, on the train. I've been on them enough at night to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you need to watch and those shady areas to watch, it's never going to guarantee your safety, though. Right. Yeah. And also often they're all entirely mechanized, right? Like there's not necessarily somebody that works CTA on every train and certainly not on every bus or every there's a con- There's a conductor on every train, but there's no security if you need security, you could be waiting a very long time, especially in a lot of these communities where we're seeing these clusters of dots. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, when you see it, it's jarring because mm-hmm. they are almost a straight line anyway. And then when you can kind of like transpose that train map that's drilled into my brain at this point <laughs> over top of it. We love our train here. Many people have, have tattoos of it. <laughs> Yeah, and I can see all of it. I see the colors, all the... Mm-hmm. It's it's uncanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there's no... There's almost no way that that's not at least an extremely compelling coincidence, if not a link. Yeah, I, I have a hard time not believing some of this stuff mm-hmm. um, and believing that it's connected. Now what I want to do is... I want to talk a little bit about the last woman that we mentioned, Diamond Turner. Okay. Okay. Diamond Turner was a 21-year-old female who also lived in the near west side of Chicago, an area where one of the clusters occurred. Now, on February 28th of 2017, it's about almost four years ago now, Mm. Diamond reportedly went to a club with 52-year-old Arthur Hilliard. After they went to the club, they returned to his apartment at Grand Crossing Avenue where they continued drinking. Now, three other people lived in this unit as well, so he did not live alone. One roommate said that he saw Diamond laying in Hilliard's bed, complaining that she was annoyed with him. The witness, the roommate, could tell that she was kind of irritated, but like you walk by two people's rooms, you're just kind of like, eh, all right. Let it go. Diamond didn't come home the following day. Oh, wow. And her family started to become suspicious. Now, obviously, you're going to hear the same thing if you try to call the police or make a missing person's report. Mm. She's an adult. She doesn't have to come home. Whatever. Diamond's body was found two days later, strangled, beaten, and partially disrobed in a trash bin behind Hilliard's residence. Whoa. Although Hilliard was obviously immediately identified as a suspect, and Diamond's family literally basically said he did it, yeah. The police didn't make an arrest. Oh, my goodness. Now, talking a little bit about Arthur Hilliard, he had a record of at least six assault battery charges, but no arrests. Chicago. Mm, oh, you're going to just keep this feeling. Yeah, Hold on to it. Right. Don't put it on a shelf. Don't put it on a shelf. Keep it out. No, it's <laughs> peeking out of my rage pocket like, hello. It's <laughs> Now, they did respond, and they did interview the witnesses in this case, so I guess good job, CPD, Yeah. Um, who said that they, they had seen Hilliard cleaning up a blood trail from his apartment to the alley. 
come on. Another witness said that they noticed a black jacket sticking out of a dumpster near the alley carport. Hmm. Witnesses reported seeing Hilliard rolling a trash bin up and cleaning a hammer. Oh, come on. They also noticed him with a cut and blood on his leg. Another witness said they saw Hilliard carrying his mattress across the street. Seriously? Where it stayed for a few days until the trash came to pick it up. Seriously? Police were able to get a blood sample pretty quickly, which they sent downstate for DNA testing. Now, this is going to be important, just in the grand scheme of Chicago. Because CPD at the time did not have the ability to test their own DNA, they have to use state labs, Mm -hmm. which means all DNA has to be sent downstate, Mm -hmm. which can cause pretty significant delays. Yes. And once they sent the DNA, that's where the investigation ended for a long time. Wow. Despite all this fucking evidence. Seriously. Nothing more was done for three years. (gasps) Three years? Three years. So what happened after the three years? Anything? Hold on. We got we got stuff to do in those three years. Uh. Because either August 31st or September 1st of 2018, Hilliard pops up again. Hmm. He's shown on a surveillance video wheeling a shopping cart into an alley. Okay, that's not weird at all. That shopping cart contained the body of 43-year-old Andre Williams. Oh, my God. Andre Williams lived nearby Hilliard, and apparently the two had a dispute over money several days prior. Williams was in a wheelchair, making him likely an easier target for Hilliard, who, even outside Diamond Turner, was known as aggressive and angry. Wow. Andre's body was found stuffed in a shopping cart, stabbed four times in the neck and head, and four times in the abdomen. Oh, my gosh. Hilliard was eventually arrested and charged with homicide in September 2019. Hmm. He pleaded guilty to concealment of a homicide and served 300 days <gasps> in jail. No way. 300 out days. Right he was out. Spoilers. Don't Google him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Fine. I'm I'm turning my phone upside down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I think it goes without saying that William's family and Diamond's family Mm -hmm. were fucking incensed. Yes. Fucking pissed. Yes. January 30th of 2020. Arthur Hilliard, who, remember, he served his good 300 days in prison. Ugh. I hope they were the worst 300 days ever, though. Uh, so he was, he served 300 days. He was released. Police finally get back the DNA from Diamond Turner's case. This is years later. Yeah. Police say that they issued the warrant as soon as they finally got the DNA test results. Uh. But... The downstate labs said that they sent all of their results back in March 2019. What? That's still too fucking long. Yeah, but it's a f- almost a year. A 10-month delay. Wow. So, well, well, Diamond's family was obviously really happy that they'd finally gotten this guy arrested. 
They couldn't help but be pissed that it took this long. Meanwhile, Andre's family is like, if he, if you guys had run this DNA, had you arrested him, had you done your due diligence, yeah, our family member would still be alive. Yeah, and that's kind of where I run out of updates on this case. Mm. Prosecutors have said they're reopening Andre Williams' case and investigating if they can get charges for homicide instead of just concealing a homicide. Right. And that they have evidence that he was involved in at least one other murder, but they won't give any details. You had another victim that was in Belmont Cragen, right? Mm-hmm. So this is all very, very, very close together. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking at, like, Belmont Cragen, Belmont Central. Here's Grand running through mm-hmm. all of that. Okay. This is not, for people that need the visual, this is not along that green line strip that we looked at before. This is correct. kind of the northwest side of this, well, like the central west mm-hmm. side of the city. But these neighborhoods, I mean, I would guess it's probably like two square miles. Oh, yeah. All the neighborhoods in Chicago are real, real close within a couple of miles of each other. Mm-hmm. Like I could run from one end of Rogers Park to the next in 20 minutes. Right, right. And most neighborhoods are about the same. So I, okay, whatever. I hate this guy. (laughs) So uh, he was arrested January 30th, 2020. And that's where any information stops. Mm. Now, my guess is that police are going to be holding this one real tight to the chest. Mm -hmm. If this guy is involved in more of these cases it would be awesome to get him off the street yeah and a big kind of pr win for for cpd who really need it yeah but again i don't think he's responsible for all of them i mean probably not like when you think about it in terms of clusters right which is Mm -hmm. that project kind of like also teaches us a little bit like look (laughs) at him in clusters yeah. And you look at like, okay, this like this square of the city where I'm looking at Belmont Cragen, Belmont Central, Galewood, like these little that little kind of nugget, um, like that that would be Hilliard's kind of stomping grounds, mm-hmm. essentially, just kind of piecing it together. And then if I move myself back over to like the the true south side along that green line strip that runs mm-hmm. down, I would guess that that would be somebody else. I kind of wonder if it's the the park forest person or persons yeah. because you've got that that southern anchor in park forest. You've got that first murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was that one that you talked about where she was beaten and strangled. Yep. Um, that seems like an escalation or either an escalation or kind of a first time out of the gate situation to me. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes there's extremity on either end of that. Yeah. Um, but then you've got that entire little strip and it just like that, what that speaks to is a locus of control, right? Like this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I know I can get on and off the train. This is where I know I'll have victims to find, etc. It's so much. Yeah. And I can look and I can see, I can, Having lived in Chicago for so long, I can identify specific neighborhoods 
oh, this cluster is this neighborhood, this cluster is this neighborhood. Right, right. This is Austin. This is Little Village. This is, you know. Austin, the former home of Belgunis. <laughs> I don't think it's her ghost returning. I didn't say that. I just implied <laughs> it with my eyebrows. I know, I know. <laughs> the eyebrows give everything away. I know. They're my burden to bear. So... That's where where we're at as far as Arthur Hilliard and any actual investigation into these cases. Okay. Now, like I said, I can't not go into how the fuck did this get this bad? Yeah, so what what next? Please. So I didn't have the chance to mention that before, but the entire time over many many years that this is going on, organizations like the Kenwood Oak Oak the Kenwood Oakland Community Organization. That is so hard for me to say. Mm-hmm. And Stop Taking Our Girls campaign were out there, like, demanding action. There had been rumblings of serial predators and an increase in fear amongst the people in these communities. And when this guy was arrested, it just brought all of that anger right back. Yeah, absolutely. The residents that had lived in the neighborhoods for years were starting to change the way they walked home. They were avoiding being outside when it was dark. It was in 2017 or 2018, after a lot of these slayings, um, that Mickey Kendall and the MAP Project started putting all of the data together. So in 2019, after these cases started to get a lot more media attention, Mm-hmm. After the Murder Accountability Project, after a lot more news coverage, videos, the Murder Squad kind of covering this a little bit, Chicago started getting more play. And CPD kind of had to ramp something up. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, CPD finally teamed up with the FBI to create an organized task force to look into these murders. Okay. And finally admitted that this could be the work of a serial killer. Well, the first step is admitting it. <laughs> Second step is doing your job. You know. Oh, oh, I you know what? I think they thought they were doing their job. Just wait. Just um. hmm. <sighs> So, I'm not I'm not 100% certain on this timeline because there's been a lot of police stuff changing around in 2019. We got a new mayor. Mm -hmm. Um, also I had kind of alluded to it before the Laquan McDonald shooting in addition to the Homan Square black sites there was a lot of heat coming down onto Chicago Police Department I wish I had time to go into the Homan Square black sites guys Mm. yeah Um, they're terrifying so there was some internal changes going on at CPD Um, and I rabbit holed until my partner forced me to go to bed (laughs) (laughs) and then i started rambling off statistics at him and he just stared at me until i went to bed (laughs) because i had found this really fascinating publication um some internal documents from cpd Mm. so we all know that chicago has i well i know you should know too i'm gonna tell you so that you know chicago has an abysmal clearance rate for homicides Mm -hmm. oh it's awful In 2017, Chicago had a 26% clearance rate on homicides. Unbelievable. Now, you can say, oh, it's a big city, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to compare that to NYPD, who had 85% clearance rate, and LA, who has a 73% clearance rate. Yep. 
And for the entire 2.6 million person population of Chicago, they have 1,127 detectives. Oh, wow. Now, prior to the restructuring that occurred around 2019, Chicago did not have a dedicated homicide squad. What? Yes. I texted all of my friends after I found this out. What? I texted everyone. I mean, South Bend, Indiana has a dedicated homicide squad. No. What? Those 1,100 detectives are assigned collectively to investigate crimes related to homicide, gang activity, and sex crimes. Oh, my God. It's just called HSG. It's just too much. And I want to take a moment to reflect on why it might be a bad idea to put all of those into one investigative squad. Mm-hmm. Because sex workers are most often the victims of homicide. So if you have the same people going after both of those groups, they're not going to talk. Same thing with gang members. Yeah. And I'm not even going to talk about the politics of classifying something as gang activity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. But then I won't say it. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah. but I said it. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, and then there's also, well, I mean, you said it. There's how do you intercommunicate? How do you delegate? How do you specialize? Even from just like a professional angle, how do you specialize? How do you how do you ever get really, really, really excellent at what you're doing if you're not able to specialize your focus? No, you can't. Now, not only is there no specialization, there's no like this is the sex crime squad. This is the homicide squad. But all of Chicago was simply divided into three policing areas. North, South, and Central. Mm. And there wasn't any organized communication between those areas. Wow. We can get into all of the politics and all of the segregation that goes into that. Mm -hmm. Because like we talked about at the beginning, the South Side and the West Side are notoriously discriminated against. There's so many stereotypes going around. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yucky. Now... In 2019, this document was released with recommendations for restructuring. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, right? Yeah, for sure. I I could go, I could spend a month just digging into this document. Mm. And I will spare you all. Because um, <laughs> I'm sure there was so many, anytime you get involved in anything in Chicago, you get involved in the policing unions, you get involved in the funding sources, you got involved in schools and transit and nothing is ever one issue no it's so interconnected i don't know if Lori lightfoot coming into power had anything to do with this i honestly don't know i know that she did make a lot of promises about you know reforming policing and whatnot but we all know that rom 16 shots cover up emmanuel wasn't going to do shit about it (laughs) shots fired fired from i met you at the train station once and you are not as tall as you say because i'm taller than you (laughs) also you have sweaty palms (laughs) (laughs) so take that and you're take that and you're ineffective uh and if biden appoints you to anything i'm gonna be really mad (laughs) I don't know if my anger means nothing to either of you guys, but... I mean, I'm sure they're both devoted listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know. I mean, maybe. I'm not going to believe these things. 
Anyway, I wanted to read you some of the recommendations from this document, okay? Yes. Okay, so first of all, we want to create a dedicated homicide unit Mm -hmm. and increase the number of detectives. Good. Good start. Cool. Yeah. We want to establish a cold case unit because basically 75% of your cases are cold. Yeah. Uh, We want to track case metrics. Mm -hmm. Like, Like how many of them get solved? Uh, this is my favorite quote. Work cases from start to finish. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> now, this this referred apparently to handoffs from the midnight shift to the day shift. Mm. When apparently during that transition. There was simply no follow up once a case was handed off. Wow. I don't. That's frightening. Stop. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Um investigate quote non-fatal shootings Mm. so apparently non-fatal shootings were not considered attempted homicides what yes okay yes they were just non-fatal shootings okay so they did not require the same level of investigation or follow-up good night and detectives who investigate non-fatal shootings must also receive training in how to conduct a thorough homicide investigation. Mm. How that's not already a thing? Yeah. Must know basic tenets of job. Uh, you have no idea how, how close you're getting to the next quote. Oh, my God. Require basic and advanced training for homicide detectives. Oh, boy. <laughs> the fact that had to be recommended... Oh, boy. So those are just a few of the very progressive, very cutting-edge recommendations. <laughs> really good job recommending, you guys. <laughs> I mean, you imagine, I can imagine what that would translate to schools, which is like, understand that the bell will ring. Children will come to your classroom. If those were, like, written for my job, it would literally be like, know how to interact with children. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Complete your job duties. <laughs> unbelievable. So what happened with these recommendations? Were they... So independent reports and independent critiques have said that most of these were implemented. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I... I'm trying to find more updated information and I'm really, really struggling. I think well, the this problem- point we're like one year into that and then COVID. Exactly. That that was the the struggle with it. I think that once COVID hit, it really shut down everything in Chicago. Yeah. Like guys, we've gotten hit so hard. <laughs> yes, you have. So for example, they shut down all in-person trials, mm-hmm. which is also, I believe, the reason why there is no more information on Hilliard. Yeah. Um, they're not going to release anything until they're fully ready to take him to trial. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do that as a virtual trial. Yeah. Yeah. Also, CPD was finally given the go ahead to do their own rapid DNA testing. Mm. Yay. So they don't have to wait six to 18 months for state labs causing a massive backup. 
Yeah. Now, apparently rapid tests can't do all of the same DNA testing, but there are, there are some limitations, but it's at least helping with the backlog, according yeah. to some of kind of the more recent reports. Some other recommendations that have come out of this are to take the DNA available from these 51 women. So what, what also is interesting, and I, I forgot to mention this, is that the DNA from these 51 women has not matched anything available in, yeah, in CODIS right now. Mm. So they're pushing to use familial DNA. Yes. Yes, we love familial DNA. I love it so much. I want to do it. Yes. I'm like totally fine with my DNA being all up in GEDmatch so that you can catch people that are related to me. Totally fine. But that's where we are right now. Some very cutting edge changes in CPD, like finishing their job and having a homicide squad. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Living on the edge. Living. We are just fucking living in the next, we're living in the year 2000, man. <laughs> it's amazing. So I'm going to constantly be checking up on these cases. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I have Google alerts for Arthur Hilliard. I think that they're going to solve some more cases with him yeah yeah sounds like it if they have him on the on diamond and andre's case and they say that they have him on at least one more that puts him in the category of a serial killer it does yeah it does but i think that there's more out there yeah so if the question is is there an active serial killer in chicago without equivocation the answer is yes yes there is at least one at least one who is currently sitting in jail. Yes. And then I, I mean, the Green Line Killer. Oh, yeah. He's out there. Can we, can we tag that? Can we copyright that? Yeah. TM. Yeah. TMs. Yeah. That cluster is not coincidental to me. Mm-mm. It's too, it's too much. When you see that map, it'll give you goosebumps, like literally. Mm -hmm. It's too much. So... Yeah, I mean, there's no way there's not a linkage in between all of those. I want to see all the clusters. But you said the 51, they were all strangulations or smotherings. Mm -hmm. They were all found in a dumpster, an alley, or another abandoned, isolated place. Mm. I just can't believe that. I think what gets me is the brazenness of Arthur Hilliard. And that's what convinces me he has to have committed more. Totally. Yeah. Cause that's, it's ballsy. It's super ballsy. Mm -hmm. It's also like just thinking about those neighborhoods and just Chicago in general, like you said, with the houses are so close together. Like when she says that literally you could like reach your hand out of your bedroom window and touch somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. Like that's how close together they are. Yeah. There's like alleys behind everything. So like everywhere there's a street, there's basically an alley as well. So you've got mm -hmm. this entire like internal artery system that is just traversable on foot but dark right plenty of places to hide plenty there are plenty hide. of abandoned houses in a lot of these south side neighborhoods yeah yeah and with those abandoned houses come yards that are going to be a lot of bush and a lot of you know overgrown stuff and then there's also the fact that like nobody else is going down there so you know who knows what's out there mm -hmm. as far as evidence as far as you know i just the the setting on fire in dumpsters yeah. is what gets me. How many people think to do that? It's very specific. 
Mm-hmm. It's very specific. And then the number of young pregnant women. That there was another woman. I didn't. I thought about including her in this story, but she's only just declared missing right now. Mm. Oh yeah, I saw that story. Yeah, that she's yeah. also eight months pregnant and she went missing actually right by me. Mm. Was the last place she was seen. But I believe it said that she lived in the Inglewood area. Gotcha. So very close into that. Mm-hmm. So I hope that she comes home safe. Yeah. Um, you know, I also think it's just important that like, who's your first victim? Teresa Bunn. Teresa. So Teresa Bunn had a lot going on in her life. She mm-hmm. had the issues with the father of her child. And like, obviously... Nine times out of ten, when a murder is committed, it's by somebody that the victim knows. And there's, you know, like a clear-cut motive in that stuff. But when that runs dry, that can't be your excuse to not continue to investigate. Like, okay, she had a lot going on in her life. So do a lot of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, exhausting the lead of the baby's father cannot be the end of your investigative rope. Yeah, you followed one lead, and then you let it go. Yeah. I just, I hope that some of these women can get justice, and I hope that these communities can feel safe, and... I'm going to have a Google alert for Arthur Hilliard, too. Yeah. Well, that was an odyssey. That was an odyssey, and I'm sorry if it felt a little disjointed, but uh, welcome to my brain researching this. (laughs) Well, welcome to this. And I hope that someday we have to every single one of these cases. Like, Mm -hmm. this has to get figured out. If you you guys are interested in learning more, um, the Murder Accountability Project is a great resource. Um, Chef's kiss. As they are black and missing and stop killing our black girls. And check out Hood Feminism, because I definitely am going to be. Absolutely. Me too. Wow. Well, that... You've taken me on a serious head scratcher, my friend. Thank you. I am. This is my backyard. (laughs) I know. I am going to be. Hold on. I'm setting my alert for Mr. Hilliard. (laughs) And then I am also going to rent the feminism from the library. Oh, good. Any hoozles. Any hoozles. You've broken my brain. Thank you for that. I don't do this. I love doing this every other week. Yeah. You break my heart. I break your brain. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's our entire relationship. That's our entire relationship. Oh, my God. Like, we just had a breakthrough. Okay. What do we do now? I don't know. We have to outro this show. And then we have to do some soul searching. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. I have now got like eight different tabs open of further research, and I hope that listeners are intrigued too. And, you know, like the more heat is on stuff, mm-hmm. the greater the possibility. So, you know, as many of us that are angry or incensed or at least curious that mm-hmm. can voice that concern, you know, by all means, like we should be doing that. Keep the heat on CPD. Keep the heat on Lori Lightfoot. Like, Mm. they really need to be making these changes. They really need to be investigating these murders. And yes, Yes. as much as you love your Lori memes, 
love the communities that are struggling right now. Yes, absolutely. Well said. And we've uh, realized recently that we are really hitting our small towns hard here at Midwretches. <laughs> We're so sorry. We love you. We do love you. Um, and you're fascinating. But so are our big cities. And as our big cities. So next week, we're taking a foray into another large Midwestern city. We are going to Detroit. We will be uncovering the intriguing story of a Detroit Southwest Side serial killer. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes. I'm kind of psyched about this because I don't know anything about this guy. You told me his name and I've already forgotten because I have no yes. context. It's Well, it's also a very bland name, easily forgotten. And I, I think another one of these cases where like one of the psychologists that spoke about him to the news called him one of the most talented serial killers you've never heard of. I'm so psyched. Yes. So please come back and listen to me. Break your heart on that story. Woo. Woo. All right, friends, as ever, please, please engage with us on the socials. We are at MidWretched everywhere. We would also love to hear from you with your five-star reviews on um, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you can review things. I think Apple's kind of got the monopoly, but, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, stay in touch with us. We've really enjoyed the connections we've made with our listeners and really look forward to growing that. For in 2021. Real in 2021. Yeah. So on that note, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say. Yeah, no. Practice some self-care. Practice some self-care. Take care of yourself. We're going to wait out the last bit of this quarantine, hopefully. Get your vaccine. Wear your mask. I like that because you're in Illinois, you can say that you're in quarantine. And because I'm in Indiana, it's like... Maybe put your nose inside your mask when everybody crowds into the stores because that's what's going on here. Yes. So in closing, be nice. Eat cheese. We We love love you. Every time I need, like, a little pick-me-up, I text you. Aw. Same thing as friend. Aw. No, you don't. <laughs> whenever, I need a real, whenever I need a real talk, pep talk. <laughs> okay. Or okay. a reality check. Or a am I crazy check. Or mm-hmm. a how do my boobs look in this check. Oh, I'm really good for the how do my boobs look in this check. Yep. You're my first stop on all of those things.